0: Second Corinthians chapter 12 and First Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll begin with Second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 14 and 15 and then we will make our way to First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So Second Corinthians chapter 12 verse 14. And please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. These are the very words of our God. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Amen. Thus far the word of God. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I will read down to verse 8. Please give your attention once again to God's word. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, and particularly pay attention to verses 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you. Even as a nurse, that is nursing mother, cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Father, our God, we come now to the preached word and we pray for help and mercy And blessing upon the minister that he may preach the words of life in a way that would give life to those dead souls here by your Spirit's power. And we pray for those who uh, have a portion of their heart that needs renewing or their mind that needs renewing, you would renew their mind and heart. We pray that you would bless the preacher that families might be strengthened here, future families would be strengthened, children would be strengthened. And children would even now look to their children's children in the ways they ought to go to the glory of God. We pray as well for the, 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 uh, the ears that will hear, the hearts that will hear. Plow their hearts with the Holy Spirit, Father. Give this word life-giving power by your help. Father, we pray this now that uh, you would have us know that in the preaching of the word that man doth not live by bread only but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Help us live by the word of God, we pray and ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, having last time seen that a parent's, uh, a child's duty, rather, is to honor their parents, we come to consider today the next step, which is what is the duty a parent owes to their child, first and foremost? And it can be summarized, really, with this word, which is love, right? The fifth commandment teaches that parents must love their children. Even as God the Father loves his elect, God is what, boys and girls? Love to his children. Even as the fifth commandment teaches you, boys and girls, that children must honor their parents as the The Christian honors God as their father. You saw that in Malachi 1 verse 6, right? A son honors his father, right? And if I am a father, God says, where is mine honor? Well, if you take that in the other direction, right? If our relationship with God is modeled in that way, then a parent's relationship with their child is modeled by the way God the Father loves his own children. In fact, in um, Christ's own words, he relays how God is good Right? and says that parents have to be good in a similar way. Now, um, the Christian family, I pray as you might be noticing by now, from the time we were in marriage, is, is modeled very particularly by the gospel, isn't it? For instance, when we came into husband and wife relationships, we saw that a husband is willing to lay down his life for his wife, even as Christ laid down his life for the church. And we saw that a wife is to submit out of love and honor and respect for her husband, even as the church submits to Christ in all things. And last time we saw that as the Christian church um, is to honor God and fear God, uh, a child is to honor the parents of that child in the similar way. And now we are seeing that parents in a Christian home are to love their children in the ways that God loves their, his children, right? And so what I think you find is if you want to have a home that is blessed of God, be very familiar with the gospel in all of its details, in all of the relationships of the Godhead to us in Christ, we must be very familiar. That is the best aid to your family. Now, there is another problem, though, with us. We are not familiar with the gospel. That might be one. The other is that when we say that God's relationship to us is defined by love, we often have a very shallow view of what love is. Right? We've been more informed by our flesh or the world and not, not by the Bible, Right? And and so we don't love biblically, just generally speaking, but certainly not, uh, the way we ought to love our children. You know, if you look at the Bible, love is multifaceted. It has many facets to it, such that it is almost like a resplendent jewel, right? There's, in the current society, love is often reduced to something like a feeling. Like today I feel like I love my child, tomorrow I feel like I want to murder him. Right? But that's not love right love if you look at the bible it has nurture it has cherishing it has discipline because love does not rejoice in evil right love has commitment it is self sacrificial love so on and so forth you know first corinthians 13 which we ought to review i mentioned that when we talked about um husbands and wives first corinthians 13 teaches us that love which is the greatest grace of them all right it has so many dimensions that we are prone to neglect and so as we think on love for our children parents we must embrace the bible's view of love and not the world's love is profoundly and you heard this in the words of the apostle profoundly especially self-sacrificial right to love someone biblically here's the thing you have to be willing to not be loved in return. You must continue to love even when your love is rejected and and the things which are proper to love are despised. That's hard on our flesh. It lays heavy on our heart, especially when we consider our children. But it is very necessary that we get these things right. Otherwise, we will not do the hard things which for them are the best things. So with those thoughts before us, our theme is a parent's love for their children. A parent's love for their children, and we'll consider that theme under three heads. First is disposition, second is duty, and third is determination. Before that, a preliminary matter. Uh, Perhaps you scratched your head when I read our sermon text, right? You thought, I thought this was a thing on the family, and why are we reading about the apostle in some churches? You see that these did not specifically deal with parent and child relationships, so what's the use of them in parenting? And that's a good question, and often it's something that is asked today, but that really speaks about how low a view we have of the fifth commandment, generally speaking. right? In the scripture, the terms father and mother speak more broadly than to natural parents. That's just the way that the Bible uses these terms. All who are classified as our superiors, whether in the home, workplace, state, or in church, are called father and mother. For instance, you remember this, kings and queens, boys and girls, in Isaiah 49, uh, 23, are called nursing fathers and nursing mothers, right? Kings and queens are treated as they are supposed to be, though very rarely are in our day and age, supposed to be like fathers and mothers. And so texts like those show that superiors relate to their inferiors as parents relate to children and we often do very well in that right in reformed churches we say oh yes we understand that we understand that hermeneutic very well but uh, we often neglect to see that actually those texts can teach parents something as well so when you see what a, a king or a queen or an apostle or a prophet relate to those under them or a pastor for that matter an elder you can learn as parents from them as well right it goes in both directions and so what I would say is, as you open your Bible, parents, use the lessons cons- uh, that teach uh, about superiors to learn and meditate on your own home, to learn how to nurture and cherish those God has committed to you. All in authority, then, if you're in authority, right, and you're, you're tempted to snooze here, you say, I have something to learn from parenting as well, as I seek to, uh, to cherish and to love Those That's my duty before the Lord is to love and cherish those who are committed to me by God. You know, you think church elders, right? They have something to learn here. Uh, You in the workplace who are bosses, you have something to learn here as well. And so for your uh, further um, education and edifications, rather, you can read larger catechisms, question 124 and 125. And uh, that's very helpful to understand why the scriptures speak of all in authority as father and mother. Well, with that, then, let's turn our attention to our text. In 2 Thessalonians 2 7, we read the apostle say, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse, that is a nursing mother, cherisheth her children. Now, what we do is we begin with the natural relationship that a mother or a father really ought to have to a child, right? The apostle shows that a parent, a woman especially, but not just a woman, because what? The apostle is a man, right, writing this. He is as a nursing mother to to them. Uh, They must cherish and nourish their children. And so we saw this last time. If by nature a child is given a disposition to honor and respect their parents, by nature a parent ought to have the disposition to love and cherish their child, to nurture them. But even as we heard with children, right, because of Sin, original sin, Uh, this has greatly been distorted and defaced. You see, sadly, some parents have no natural affection for their children, right? Some parents also, they do have a natural affection, but their love is disordered. Maybe they are overly indulgent with no discipline, having a hands-off approach to them, right? Just sort of let them run around. Or maybe they're overly severe, all discipline, no cherishing. Maybe they're overbearing, right? And so what the Christian always understands is because of original sin, our nature needs renewing by grace and the Holy Spirit's work, which is why in Titus 2.4, the apostle has to instruct older women, very particularly, to teach the younger women to love their children. In other words, if you can just come into this world, ladies, knowing how to love your children, that would be great, but that's not the case. You and I need to be taught, right? This is why the apostle says, teach the younger women how to love their children. In other words, then you must not think, I know how to love my child. But I must be informed by the very word of God how to do it. You know, it is a very, very sad thing because what is often natural to animals is tarnished by our sin nature in man. You see animals who will lay down their life for one of their children, right? And we look on those things and sometimes we're astonished. And then we find um, uh, men and women acting worse than beasts, neglecting and abusing their children, right? And we say, what has happened to man that he is now worse than the animals by nature? It's because of sin. So believer, never forget, you know, that's an extreme example. But what it demonstrates is you and I need to learn how to love, And learn how to love our children. You must be suspicious, and I must be too, of our sin nature in any matter when it comes to love. You and I, there are two options here, right? You're going to listen, as the world says, to your heart, which is deceitful above all things in these matters. And then you will take in and drink in the doctrines of the world. Or your only other option is to drink in from the Scripture. What saith the Lord? Thus saith the Lord. Here in the Bible is true love, friends, found in the person of Christ and expressed in his word. And so you and I need to always have our mind renewed about love according to the word and the spirit's guidance. So that sets why we need to learn how to love our children, because sad to say, many of us think we just know how. So what is this disposition of love towards our children? As you have maybe heard in these two texts we have read, it is defined by love and love is defined by giving, by pouring ourselves out into our children. That's why the apostle used nursing to illustrate his ministry to the Thessalonians. Consider what a mother does when she nurses, right? She gives herself to her child in a a very tender way. She gives her breast. She gives her milk. So that the child who has nothing to give her in return, other than perhaps sleepless nights, may grow and, uh, and mature, right? That's what nursing is. It's a giving of oneself, giving even of the substance of oneself, isn't it? That disposition does not end with the mother nursing physically, but it must endure in always that a mother or a father will nurture their child even to the giving of their own lives for their children. Which is why the nursing illustration goes much further for the Apostle Paul. In First Thessalonians 2.8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Do You see that? That's where the nursing analogy naturally leads. It's a giving of ourselves, even my own life, That's what the word soul means there. My own life for the one that I love. Being affectionately desirous of you, right? This is the heart disposition of the one who loves another. Affectionately desirous of them. Not meaning that the affections even by nature are that way, but by God's help, I am to be affectionately desirous of my children. No matter how hard they may be to love. And we are to impart our own lives to them as a mother imparts herself to her infant. I thought, what an incredible verse this is, right? We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. Now what is more important than the gospel of God, right? I think on that. He says, that's not enough. We were willing to give our own lives to you as well. And so he gives the most important thing, but even is willing to lay down his own life. Again, nature teaches these things, doesn't it? An animal will lay down its life for its young. Yet among humans, sad to say, that's not so often the case. But all this to say, our children, even if they are difficult, must remain dear to us and we must pour ourselves into them regardless. You know, these these churches were not always easy for the apostle. Right? You know that. Uh, We're going to consider the Corinthians in a bit. But yet, regardless, he would pour his life out into them. And that's where our other sermon text comes up in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 8. He said, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. Now, there's a wonderful meditation. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will gladly spend and be spent for you. Listen to this, parents. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. We'll get to that in a moment, but that gives you the tenor of love, doesn't it? But what he starts off saying is that the parents give for the children and not the other way around, right? Uh, Children, and maybe I shouldn't have to even say this, but here it is. You see it in the news all the time. Parents are not to exploit children, right? Right? Uh, In other words, they are supposed to give for their children. They are not to fleece their children. You know, it's one thing as we talked about to have them contribute to the family and the kingdom of God as in Psalm 127 as arrows to be of use to King Jesus in our homes. However, they're not slaves. They're not there so that we might live a life of ease out of them. I remember when my wife and I went on a our honeymoon to to Mexico, and this is not necessarily about Mexico, you see this even here, is that you would see uh, parents sending their children out to be panhandlers. They would ha- They would hang out back there and they would send their children out to the tourists, exploiting the children so that they would return the money to them and they would live off of them. No, biblically, the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children, not the other way around. There are more subtle ways that can happen, and maybe you need to demolish this from your life. I don't know. You think of the beauty pageant parents, right? Right. The the child is being groomed for their parents' own glory. Or parents who raise children in the hopes that they will become child stars or sports stars or something. Not because the child wants any of these things, but because the parent has a selfish motive. That's to raise them up as nothing more than machinery to profit yourself, isn't it? And that's not the nature of love. But Paul said that he would gladly spend and be spent for them out of this abundance of love. And so the disposition of love is to be glad to spend and be spent for the one that you love, right? For your child, you ought to be glad to spend yourself for them, to lay up for the child, and so forth, even though it comes with grief. You know, the Corinthians here, he mourned over how he loved them a bit because the more abundantly he loved them, the less he was loved in return. You know, this too is the nature of love. Sad to say, and parents, you have to get used to it. Otherwise, you won't love your children as they should be loved. Right? Sometimes to love a child biblically, meaning in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that will often cause them to love you less in return. And you have to be okay with that, right? You know, you admonish them and they seem to despise you for it, but you do it out of love. Regardless, the more abundantly you love them, to correct them and to lead them to Christ, and to do the things that are necessary to discipline them, to train them up in the way they ought to go so they will not depart from it later in life, sometimes they are just not going to like you very much. And today, you're going to find parents shying away from true love because they're afraid that their child won't love them in return. Never let that stop you from loving them as they ought to be loved. Never let it stop you from pouring out the gospel to them and your own souls to them. In that, you might wonder why I chose two sermon texts tonight. One out of a letter to the Corinthians and one to the Thessalonians. And frankly, at first, the reason was I couldn't choose which one I ought to um, bring to you because both seemed appropriate to our theme. But then I realized, you know what? They are a fantastic complement to one another because of the nature of the churches that Paul writes to. Because the source of his writing to both these churches was out of love. He loved both these churches with all his heart as his spiritual children. But their behavior caused him to show the same disposition of love in different ways. These two churches might be like two children that you have parents. Right? The Thessalonians being one of those Macedonian churches that we thought on very recently, greatly commended of the Lord. It was like a good child in some ways, boys and girls. Not perfect, but often doing what is right to please Christ. Whereas boys and girls, you know, the Corinthian church was a bit like the naughty child, right? But what did the apostle do? Did he just ignore one? Because one is easier to deal with and deal with the other. And the other one, he said, you know what? I'm just... I'll just let it do what it wants to do. No. Love required him to treat both in the way that they needed to be treated. The apostle poured out his life for the both of them regardless. And he did it in the way that was necessary for their well-being. He loved the Corinthians so much. If you read the epistles to the church in Corinth, they are hard letters. He has much to say that is very difficult to read, isn't it? But he says it because he loves them and is willing to say hard things to them out of love. And he shows you in that, that out of love we take to heart Ephesians 6.4, bringing our children up in the nurture and also admonition of the Lord. Not indulging their sins as he might have with the Corinthians as he admonished them simply saying something like this. Well, you know, the grace of the Lord, it covers all faults. And it does. But he has them walk. He challenges them by God's Spirit to walk in the Spirit. And he wasn't overbearing with the Thessalonians as he might have been as he nurtured them. In both cases, he was glad to be a nurse to them and to spend and be spent for them. Whether or not his love was returned with affection. You know, in in Corinth, they were starting to despise him. The more abundantly I love, the less I am loved in return. Yet he would still say and do what is required for their well-being. And that is what you must resolve to do, parents. You know, some children, sad to say, will not be grateful. Some children are going to despise you because you love them. Corinth was despising Paul, but he still loved them. He still poured out his life to them. So you must do the same. You must entrust yourself and your children to the Lord. And you must not neglect to lay up for them regardless, to give yourself for them and to discipline them. Whether they praise you for it, whether they are oblivious to it, or even curse you for it, you are to love them. And that's a necessary reminder generally if you love someone, period. To love them is not always going to have them love you in return. When the Bible says things like faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? Some are not going to understand that wounding when they are wounded. Some are not going to be grateful when you give your substance to them out of love. But love requires regardless that you spend and be spent for them, regardless of the reaction, because you love for Christ's sake, right? You show love to Christ when you love as Christ has you love. And so with this disposition that love is self-sacrificial and doesn't always, it doesn't always result mothers, right? You're not always going to get the praise of the Proverbs 31 woman when you love. You ought to, but you won't always. You have to be okay with that. So then we can understand our duties, our second head. And so all the duties the Lord has for parents flow out of this determination to do well for their children. To say with the apostle, I seek not yours, but you. Right? You and your well-being. Now, as this is a series on the Christian family, we have to go much further than physical and material well-being. Right? And that's where the world would end if this was a class, for instance, on parenting. But their physical and material well-being is not the end of your consideration. It's not even really the beginning of it. It's their relationship to the Lord when we consider our duties to our children. We must begin with what the Lord would require of their spiritual well-being. Christian children are covenant children. We raise them in the Lord for the Lord. And this is why this is deliberately not titled a series on family, but the Christian family. Because this is how we raise up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. His raising of them. And I'll return to that theme when we consider family religion in the series. But he has promised, I will remind you, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee. Genesis 17.7. Acts 2.39 restates it. For the promise is unto you and to your children. These children enter your home parents under the administration of the covenant of grace. Right? You are to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Their relationship to the Almighty and to His Christ are a first place in raising them. And as Paul did, the first and most necessary duty you have to them is to give them the gospel of God every day of their life, continually, that they are to know they are sinners, as you and I are, That they need Christ and his atoning work received by faith alone. That is the most loving thing of all. They need to serve him all the days of their life in repentance, worship, and well-doing. That is what they are called to foremost and is paramount in their lives as well. These are the things of first place. They must learn from the time that they are at your breast, mother, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Under that, you find the proper place of discipline, you find the proper place of education, you find the proper place of career and marriage and so on. Those will slot in very easily if you get first things first. So with that, let's consider a survey of some duties parents owe to their children. And in future sermons, we'll consider some of these in more detail. But today is a survey to leave an impression, perhaps, on your soul, I pray, on the breadth of duties before we get them to get into depth. And the areas I want to consider tonight are five. Intercession, instruction, discipline, provision, and protection. Intercession, instruction, discipline, provision, and protection. And our first duty is intercession. We must pray for them. And we must plead for them before the throne of God out of love. Recently, you heard Job did it morning and evening for his children. Now, remember what I said about the fifth commandment and superiors in general. Paul, when he wrote to the Colossians, right, in Colossians chapter 1, said that he was praying always for you. You This is a theme throughout whenever he writes to the churches. Samuel, this is very interesting. When he was displaced and kicked out essentially by wicked King Saul in his farewell address said in 1 Samuel 12.23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good in the right way. In that, parents, you find that to not pray for your children is a sin. It's a sin against God. And so you need to go with a burden for them in your heart into the secret place. So You think of that great picture of the high priests, right? Going into the temple and they would shoulder the names of Israel's tribes upon their shoulders. Even as Christ, our high priest, has graven our names upon the palms of his own hands. You must take your children into the secret place with you. And even as you might be hoping for children. You need to pray for your future children today. And when you conceive, by God's help, pray for the child in the womb. If you believe that abortion is murder, and it is, the life that you have in your womb is a life given to you by God, and it must be prayed for from the moment of conception. And when they are born, pray for them, right? Pray for them incessantly. Pray for them when they leave your home to cleave. Pray for them on your deathbed. Pray for them. Especially if they have yet to receive Christ, you must never stop if you have a child praying for them. You must never stop whether they are backslidden, whether they are not. The work of prayer for them ends when you die. Samuel said it would be a sin for him to ever cease praying for Israel. Family worship, which is a topic for another sermon, is a good time to pray for them as well. So many uh, children have had a tremendous impression on their souls because father prayed for them as they uh, they were doing family worship. And, And they saw not only the heart of their father, but also the heart of God for them. Right now, connected to intercession is also the need to bless your children. For instance, Jacob blessed his children. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them and blessed them. Everyone, according to his blessing, he blessed them. Genesis forty nine twenty eight, or Hebrews 7, 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. What this means is you must seek the Lord's blessings for them, right? Can you imagine what it would be? And I'm often convicted of this, where if your child heard this constantly, may God bless you, my child. May God give you Christ. May God give you all that you need in this world, pointing them ever to the person who can bless them, their Lord. And so the disposition of the heart of the parent out of love seeks the Lord for his blessings on them. To speak as Jacob did and say, may God give you all spiritual blessings in Jesus. That's not a power, right, that father or mother have. But it's a seeking of God to give the blessing. You can look at the benedictions in the Bible and pattern blessings for your children. May the Lord cause you, my child, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Something like that. And to bless them in those ways. The second of these duties, so if that was intercession, is instruction. They are to learn the ways of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 said, we must raise them up, we heard this last time, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now in the Greek language, the word nurture there might be a bit misleading to you today, but it deals with education and it deals with correction. You might say, bring them up, and this is interesting if you think about Matthew 28, bring them up in the discipleship of the Lord. That would be an alternative way to translate that. And so our children must be raised up in the instruction of the Lord. You must make disciples of Christ in your own home. This is not a secondary duty. This is a primary duty. You know, you think about this. Sometimes we just need the most basic reminders. Where did your children come from? They came from the Lord. Are you going to deny that Christian that the Lord gave them to you? It's really simple. Do you deny that? If so, who are you responsible to point them to? The very one who gave them to you, who gave them life, who gave them to you in the womb. And that's why it is a grievous sin to say anything less than what Joshua said. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Full stop. No options, friends. God made your family. And God must be served by your family, even the littlest child. Religious instruction then has first place in the home. And it is never an afterthought thinking. And I love that we have our catechism class and everything. It is not like, well, we'll take them to church on the Lord's Day. They'll hear the pastor and they'll go to the catechism class and then that's it. No, that is a wonderful supplement uh, in many ways. But they need you to instruct them in the home. They especially need the gospel at their earliest age. Oh, what would it be to have their first memory in religion to be that I learned from before I can even remember I need Jesus because I'm a sinner and God is merciful. And every time that they are disciplined, that you would point them to the reality that this is not just bad behavior, this is sin. And you must see that you need a savior who can freely and fully pardon you of all. And they need to know all the counsel of God. They need to know this Bible. I always think about this. One of my prayers is that my children will far, far excel me in my knowledge of the Scripture. I came to the Lord when I was 30. And I think what a wonderful thing it is that I have children who were born into the Christian faith, that they would know this word backwards and forwards and know it with power Deuteronomy 6, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them, here's the word we hate, diligently, unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. All of your life is to be filled with the word of God. Which is why it's incredible to think anyone thinks the Christian religion does not have the Word of God as its primary focus. From morning to night, diligently teaching, talking of it, right? How much of your speech to your children has the Scripture in it? You know, I think on these things, I think of how Timothy's mother took these verses to heart, right? She took Deuteronomy 6 to heart. She taught her son Timothy diligently as Deuteronomy 6 instructs. She did, and Paul could tell Timothy that he has known the Holy Scriptures from the time he was a child that was able to make him wise unto salvation because his mother kept Deuteronomy chapter 6. What a thing it would be if any of the children here could say that they are not wise unto salvation. From the time they're a child may it never be you must also catechize them so that the the doctrine of the word is understood by them that they can rightly divide the word of truth and be protected from savage wolves and so I would just say I want to put this in your mind, parents what greater need do you say your children have than true religion? what is it? you know my first reformed pastor he said to us i still vividly remember this in a sermon um he said to us uh, from the pulpit he said and he preached and he said you know i don't know all that there is to know about your children this much i know they will all die and you need to take that to heart and don't forget it uh, the one pastor i remember he was preaching and you know God willing, one day DRPC will have a graveyard that you can point to when you preach. But he said, look out there, boys and girls. There are short graves and there are long graves. And you need to remember that, that children die. And you need to receive Christ, your Savior, today, children. You must cast yourself upon him because just because you are young does not mean you will be old So parents, prepare them for death, even at their birth, not only before God's throne of grace, but by instructing them in the word. And that's why your parents have you here worshiping with us, boys and girls. If you've ever wondered, it's for your good, out of love for you. It would be much easier on your parents, really, it truly is, because when I began as a Christian, this is what we would do. We would send our children off to Sunday school or nursery, Uh, Your flesh might even like that more, children, so that by the time you have colored Noah's Ark 200 times, you're still saying it's better than being in the worship service. But we want you to enjoy public worship, even though your flesh right now may cause you to resent your parents, but they are loving you by having you here. You know, there are so many mothers and sometimes fathers too who are juggling children in and out of the worship service. Do you think that they're doing it for your amusement, boys and girls? Or is it because they love you? It's because they love you and they want. They know that faith comes by the hearing the word of God preached. And if there's one thing that they want for you, it's that you would know Christ and be born again from an early age. And so they do hard things for you out of love, even though, as the apostle says, sometimes they are not loved in return. And the more that they love you, the less they are loved by you. So you need to see this that they love you in doing these hard things. And one day I trust you will relay that message to your own children as your parents get to see by God's help and blessing their children's children. Now, while religious instruction has first place, out of the Bible, you will also, parents, find the need to instruct them in all matters of wisdom. You look at the Proverbs, right? And there's all kinds of wisdom there. And you are to guide them in every matter of life. You know, the point of Christian nurture, we come back to the the nursing analogy, is to make your child a mature, well-rounded spiritual adult who can leave your home and be a blessing to home, church, and state, and workplace, right? So don't neglect instruction in every area of life. Uh, Let me just say, 18 years or whatever goes by quickly. I have an 18-year-old now somehow, Um, and it happens in the blink of an eye. Don't neglect to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that brings us to the third area, discipline. This is a large topic and we have much need of wisdom here. So I cannot and will not um, cover it extensively. But let's just remember, discipline is necessary and it is not contrary to loving children. It is part of it. We are to bring them up in the nurture and here's the word, admonition of the Lord. To neglect discipline is, and you have to get this right, parents, is not to love them. But what is it according to the Bible? It is to hate them. It is to treat them as illegitimate children. And if we need to be jarred, the authorized version says it well, as bastards. Hebrews 12, 6-8, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You know, let me just put this here. To be permissive of them when they sin is to heap troubles on their soul and your soul. Ultimately. You remember Eli the priest. He refused to, to discipline his two sons, when they did evil, and the Lord chastened him for it, and he died in shame. Proverbs 29.15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but are these words, listen to them carefully. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. A lot of shame parents receive in this world from their children is their own doing. Not always. Some will go wayward in pious families. That is the Lord's secret decree. But often it is because the rod and reproof were not given as with Eli's house. Now, again, discipline's a big topic. We'll cover it another time. But there's that negative aspect to discipline. But there is a positive aspect as well, which is a reinforcement when a child does well. That's often overlooked by many of us. And I've been guilty of it myself on those of us who are strong on the negative form of discipline. But you remember this of superiors. And this is why I said parents, take every text about superiors and apply them in the home. Romans 13.3, when speaking on the magistrate, says that uh, do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same, meaning rulers. You see, the the godly magistrate, when a, a man or woman does good, is to reward them and praise them. You remember when Mordecai did well And was not rewarded. King Azuera saw that as a great injustice. Right? And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. Esther 6 3. That's an evil. And here's a pagan who understands that by nature. So we chastise them for when they sin. And we reward them for when they do well. And in this way, you will best train them up in the way they ought to go. As always, right, in discipline, don't neglect this, we'll cover discipline, as I've said. Have them look to Jesus for their standing with God after discipline is given, always. Right? They must see, yes, you did wrong, you're chastened, there is forgiveness in the Lord. And that means that we not just have them say, I'm sorry, but we have them repent of sin. Right? Because what did David say? Uh, against thee and the only have I sinned. Right? They need to take David's heart and make it their own. That it's not so much right that you have sinned against me, foremost, your parent, but this is God we have sinned against. Fourth, you are to provide for them and provide the things necessary for both soul and, and body out of love. You know, we can often neglect, and we're more guilty of this probably in our day and age, to neglect the soul for the sake of the body. Some might do the other. But as I have already spoken of many things concerning the soul, I'm going to leave that alone. But you must remember, parents, and I hope that you don't need a reminder of this in this congregation, but you might, that you are to provide for their body and their temporal well-being as well. I'll go back to 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath, what? Denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Right? Why? Again, nature teaches a man that he must provide for his children. You see, uh, animals are providing for their children. And we must as well. So this especially falls on you who are fathers, or if you are single or the father is incapacitated, it will fall on the mother. Now, the most important thing is in our society, maybe to remember what it means to provide for them. It does not mean that they need an iPhone 15. Right. And this is where we go wrong. When we say, oh, we need to provide for little Johnny or Jane, we look at what the world provides for children, right, which most of the time leads them just astray. Then we say we need to give them this, and we need to give them that, and we need to give them the the, the most extravagant of birthday parties or whatever else, and and I'm going to go into debt for all this stuff. That's not what it means to provide. What does the Bible mean when it says to provide? It says, and having food and raiment or clothing, let us be there with content, First Timothy 6.8. Now, you need to first instruct your heart on that for yourself, but then you need to make sure that your children from their earliest ages are instructed in that way too. It doesn't matter what your friends have. It doesn't matter what you see on the television or on wherever, right? This is what God says you need. And with that, you must be content. Otherwise, parents, you will be stressed out and you will try to provide things that you don't need to provide. Um, Most of all, tell them you can have Christ, my son or my daughter, and with that, you have everything. Again, you can give your children above that bar, but this is the bar. Everything else is superfluous, maybe nice, sometimes, many of the times, even detrimental. And here's the thing, right? Even the size of our families is often determined by what we think is necessary for provision. Don't ever do that, right? That uh, My child needs to have this kind of bar, and so I can't have any more children because I can't provide all that. Anyhow, we'll cover these things another time. Fifth, protect them. And this is our last section on duties. And what you must do is you must protect their whole person. That means soul and body both. That is far reaching. The whole child is entrusted to your care, soul and body both. And when it comes to their soul, you protect them. Even as Paul protected the Ephesians. Right, again, here he this is what we saw, right? Paul didn't have physical children. And so we learn greatly what it means to have spiritual children, but we learn how to how we deal with our, our physical children just the same. Acts 20:29 20, through 31. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. If you don't think perverse men and women are seeking under Satan's influence to devour your children, you are living in a fantasy land. You absolutely are. Do you not think just by the nature of the devil that he delights in murdering the souls of Christian children? Boys and girls, who was the very first one murdered? Abel. Abel. The devil loves to devour the souls of Christian children. Do not sleepwalk through life, parents thinking the world is not trying to take them away from Christ. You know, the the primary feature of the devil is his subtlety. It's his subtlety, right? Things that look friendly, right, uh, are actually not so friendly if you analyze them. And you must be very careful, right? This is why the devil comes with the, the, the fruit in the garden and he hooks Eve with it very subtly. He doesn't come with the pitchfork, right? He comes as an angel of light to us so often. Why do you think there are drag queen story hours in public libraries? Why do they come after the children? This is the world's MO, right? First of all, they want to kill their own children. So how are they going to convert children to their cause? They're going to take yours, right? They don't want to have physical children. They are quite content to have unspiritual children among yours. And you must know that, that this is not, we are not sleepwalking through this world. Life in this world is spiritual war. And they are coming for your children. Why do you think public schools are designed to indoctrinate your children with unbelief? Why is it that they are very purposeful to remove what book out of the public school? This one. Why do you think that they want to remove prayer, especially in the name of Jesus? It is because they are not neutral in these things. They have a very purposeful agenda to devour your children. And again, you are completely out of your mind if you think that these things are not so. You know, the, world, the word sheltered has come into a bit of disrepute, hasn't it? And I think that is completely the devil's work. Because who is our shelter? The Lord is our shelter. Right? Is it a bad thing to be sheltered under the wings of the Almighty? No. And you see, the very thing that you have done is when the world says, oh, your children are sheltered, you have been embarrassed. But you ought not be embarrassed. You ought to, as we heard about denying ourselves, embrace the shame of it. So what? My children are sheltered. They know the Lord, and they've been protected from perverseness. Now, that doesn't mean they have to be oblivious to evil. Right? They must know about evil and that's why we preach the whole counsel of God and we do speak about the perverseness out there. But I will not apologize to anyone that my children are relatively sheltered from evil and you ought not either. We'll speak more on this as we consider education of children especially. But protect them from grievous wolves and don't put them where they will be preyed on. Protect them from Uh, ungodly friendships, protect them from friendship with the world. Now, I understand, especially when it comes to education, some family situations will be more challenging in this, such as in divorce and so on, and that might be God's providence. If if so, entrust your children to God, knowing this is his providence, right? Uh, You understand that, that God has done this. But when you have the uh, ability and opportunity to keep them away from any environment in which they will be preyed on, you do that. But as well, you protect their bodies. Do not neglect what the Bible says about the body. And we saw this. The Lord cares about our body in the morning. You must provide a safe environment for them as much as you can anyhow. Um, this will also touch on things that maybe are unpopular to talk about. Things like nutrition, exercise, sleep. Teach them to shepherd and steward their own bodies well today. Right? God cares about the body. And sometimes we can be so overly spiritual, we neglect that fact and we become Gnostics. right? But God is going to redeem, as you heard this morning, both the body and the soul. And he intends you to steward the body well. Well, so as time is, is pretty well gone, let me just reiterate these broad categories. We'll revisit these in future sermons. Intercession, instruction, discipline, provision, and protection. These are all done out of love, true love. And you can see that sometimes this won't make you popular, parents. But you must. So let's conclude then, as we know these things, uh, with our final heading, which is determination, which will be brief. Now, as I've said, a lot of what I have said tonight, parents, your children will not like, they won't like the idea of it, and they especially won't like the exercise of it towards them. Now, they should like it. Boys and girls, hear, hear this. You ought to like these things, right? If you knew what was good for you, you ought to love these things, And you ought to bless your parents if they do these things for you. And very many of you do. So I don't want to make it sound like all children are ungrateful. But many are not. Some of you will not like it when your parents love you in these ways. Some parents, you will not find the the well done thank you from your children. Some will bless you later in life when they are parents themselves and have come to the Lord more fully. Some may only do it even when you are dead. And that has happened too. In any case, you don't live for their praise. You live for the praise of God. And you live for their well-being, even if it comes with hurt feelings or whatnot from them. You do it out of love for them and love for Christ. And it is especially hard, I know, when a child says they do not love you or they revile you or hate you for loving them, that you do not let them do what their friends do, right? That you keep them out of a certain kind of school or you spank them and their friends don't get spanked. But you think on this, the apostle knew the pain. He said, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. You know, you're going to have to embrace that. You're going to have to embrace that. Are you willing to love that way, parents? Are you willing to love in such a way that because of what you know is best for them, you're willing that your child may not love you, they may resent you? And here's again another thing. I can't do these things, the world says, because my child will resent me. Well, you know what that is? That's self-love, isn't it? That's you loving yourself more than you love your child. Just admit it. You don't like your feelings hurt but you don't really care about them, right? And you need to see it that way. When you think about resentment and such, I'm not saying because you are hard on them, overly so. I'm saying, but because you are willing to walk the way God wants you to walk, and a a person, maybe even in the church, says, you know, you do that, your child will resent you. You have to say, I am willing to be less loved by my child because I love them that much. So long as what you... Do what the Bible calls love. Don't fear backlash or be discouraged in spending your life for them, even when they seem like ungrateful wretches, because that is really at the end of the day, what we are to God. If we would admit it, and maybe then we understand our relationship with God. Uh, Being a parent is perhaps one of the most sanctifying things you can experience, because if you... Thought on it rightly, parents. You see in the little sinner God has given you your relationship to him. And you understand and you repent more when you see your child backtalk, when you see your child uh, disgruntled, when you see your child unwilling to do the things that are good. You say to your father in heaven, let me search my heart where I am as a child and let me repent. And you say to your child, What a disarming thing this would be if you would say, as the apostle did, even if they would, God forbid, spit in your face, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. That is the nature of Christian love. When they revile you, don't revile in turn. You continue to give them the gospel of God, but also your very soul, because your children ought to be dear to you. Well, boys and girls, I would just say, think on these things that your parents are called to, and may you take them in yourself so that you prepare for your own children one day and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You learn what it is to be a parent today so that you would better understand your parents, but also what you must be by, uh, if God wills you to be a parent one day, to raise up a godly seed after you, that you would receive the commendation that we all hope to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so be animated, all of you, in whatever relationships you're called to love, to spend and be spent for Christ's sake. Amen. We'll continue this next time around. Please rise for prayer if able.